0: Welcome to Weird Sounds, an audio companion to the Boston Art Book Fair and Boston Center for the Arts. I'm your host, Oliver Mack.
1: And I'm also your host, Randy Hopkins. Oliver and I are the co-founders of the Boston Art Book Fair, which has brought us into contact with an incredible array of artists and creative thinkers. We want to share some of these conversations with you.
0: And that's exactly why we started Weird Sounds, as a podcast to document the ways that people are making art all around us these days. We have so many questions for artists because we love hearing about the ideas and images, inspirations and aspirations behind their practices, and we know you will too. Hi there, Weird Sounds listeners. Randy and I are excited to share our latest episode with Karen Goodfellow, the Director of Public Art for the City of Boston. Karen's work oversees programs which create public murals, memorials, sculptures, and social practice projects that reflect the diversity and cultural values of our city and our communities. Let's listen in on the conversation. Thanks for joining us, Karen. It's good to have you you on our little uh, desert island of conversation.
2: It's good to be here.
0: So we actually have the incredible honor of uh, having had you honor us with the Boston Art Book Fair Day back in, I believe it was 2019, and that kind of leads into what you do in general. So, how how do you have that that type of power to wield the proclamations for on behalf of the city of Boston?
2: Well, I work in the mayor's office of arts and culture, so working there, we can make requests for things like proclamations, which are pretty fun and special um, to share with folks. It's fun to be able to help dedicate
1: a day. Wait, I have a really important question before we get too much further, which is, can an event, say something like Boston Art Book Fair, uh, get a proclamation more than once?
2: For for different...
1: Different years. Like to have it be that day uh, in the same way again? Yeah, just a question. (laughs) We had so much fun having it be Boston, our book fair day in Boston that one day. I I feel like we should reread it and see if it is like perpetual
2: or is it just on that very day? Um, Maybe it's that
1: very day. Got to read the fine print. Oliver, that's on you. I think you took that. We had a little cool binder thing that it came in. We were really proud.
0: Yeah, it's quite an accomplishment, but uh, it's because of uh, Karen's work that these things even happen in Boston, which is kind of incredible. You're, you're able to do things that I can't even wrap my head in, which is work with the bureaucracy of the city of Boston and do it to actually empower people and build a platform for art. It's it's amazing that you're able to do that. How did you get started with this?
2: So I, I got started in art, you know, just as a young person who liked to draw. And little by little, it became the, the work I'm doing today as director of public art for the city of Boston, but really it came out of my love of drawing and then painting and wanting to do murals. So I was doing all that growing up in the area. I grew up in and out of Boston, was in high school in Norwood and was painting murals there and, you know, on supermarket windows and things like that. So it it started very simply. And then when I went to college, I, um, was a studio art major. And so continued that work, but, you know, I always sort of pushed outside of the institution. One thing that really sort of grew my thinking around it was was there's this beautiful mural by um, Jose Clemente Orozco at Dartmouth College where I was studying called uh, The Epic of American Civilization. And he painted that as an artist's residence there. And I was always really blown away at how he came into this institution and really questioned uh, the work they were doing, and put I thought some pretty radical history up on the walls for everyone to see. So while I was there, I was feeling very inspired to work within the system to make it work for for the people. And I applied for grants while I was there. I worked with kids to paint murals, one in uh, in Quito, Ecuador, and one in White River Junction, Vermont. And then you know I carried that work with me. Uh, I painted at a fellowship to paint for a year after college. And then when it was time to sort of figure out how to support myself, I started working in museums and nonprofits and was always sort of battling with the tensions at those larger nonprofits of museums that the mission wasn't really aligned with what I wanted to do. And you know, Randy, I think that's something we've sort of connected on at times. Yep, definitely. That uh, I was working communities and I felt like the programs I was working on were being used you know, for promotion, for development, but didn't really align with the vision of the institutions. And so then in 2008, I applied to this job with the city, which then was staff director of the Boston Art Commission. Um, And that was, you know, Menino was mayor. My office uh, was arts, tourism and special events. And that was sort of the beginning of my career, uh, sort of more formally. And also my, you know, first really stable job as an arts and culture person in boston
1: that what was the transition i forgot that you it used to have a different department name Tell yeah. me what happened well, yeah you were it was arts and tourism that was like yeah. the the category right what yeah, arts what, tourism and special events mm-hmm. i mean years before
2: it had been an arts and culture department there, you know, there have been different versions over history of how things are organized.
0: So they broke out tourism into a, a separate uh, office that's near like where you get death certificates.
2: It, it's still we're still all in the same physical place. None of us have have moved uh, yet. I don't know what the future holds, but we're we're, you know, still living side by side.
0: Well, I've seen a huge, uh, a huge amount of what you've been able to change about the city. I, it's I've, I'm incredibly uh, thankful f- of all the things that you, you've put into the public art space in Boston. When I first moved into, well, Cambridge, Boston area, two thousand one, there was it's everything was so underground and apart from the city and structure. Now it's so integrated. And it's, it's, it's a huge part of, uh, it's a huge thanks to you of the work you've done.
2: Yeah. Thank you. And it's been incredible to be able to work over the 15 years I've been doing, I've been here and or like in this position, you know, of sorts, just collaborating with, with so many people, you know, with, with you, Oliver, with you, Randy, one of my first projects was with Randy and it's just, you know, a lot of times I just, I feel so blessed to be so connected to my community and to be able to collaborate with as many people as I have to to create that change that we all wanted and to make it be on its way to becoming the community that we want to live in.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to try and unpack a little bit the journey there, because our project was me, incredibly inexperienced curator at the ICA in 2008. Eight-ish, right? Is that about the right time frame? Um yep. working with guest curator for the Shepherd Fairy show, Pedro Alonso. Pedro. Mm-hmm. And it was I was tasked with uh getting permission from the city, right? For um, I don't even know what I was getting permission for. I had never had to do anything like that before and um, Pedro was kind of coaching me through the kind of questions he thought you would ask and this and that, but, and you are so delightful. And I was so underwater, but we, <laughs> that was worked out. It worked. <laughs>
2: you, you all were asking about putting a banner on city hall or putting an artwork on city hall.
1: Yeah. From one of shepherds. That's right. Banner mm-hmm. on city hall. You know, I have the
2: original version as my,
1: um, My what do you call it? Screensaver. Amazing. Because
2: I was I was re-earthing it recently.
1: That was such a I mean, it was a fun project, but I had to promise you made me promise up and down that Shepard, if (laughs) City Hall agreed to do the banner, that I would somehow guarantee that Shepard was not going to get arrested in Boston. I I ended up making And
0: what (laughs) happened, Randy. What Uh, happened at the end of it?
1: uh, You might be able to guess.
0: (laughs) Okay. Shepard got arrested at the opening yep. at the ICA. Yep. And then mm-hmm. Karen was sad at you for <laughs> not being able to guarantee. What how did that even happen? What I was
2: super embarrassed though, because I had silenced my phone one night and woken up the next morning to these voicemails from Pedro like <laughs> about what had happened. Like from really late. Um, <laughs> that I had totally missed and not been helpful around.
0: Yeah. So Shepard, you know, he'd been activist, graffiti, sticker artist, uh, weed paste artist for many years before his ICA mm-hmm. show. And is that why the, the cops rolled up on him? We don't know.
1: Well, but but I, he, we don't remember. I'm not going to remember the detail, but I think he had some outstanding. You know, the, he had been stickering since he was in school at RISD, like leaving stickers all over New England, basically, whatever, Boston, Providence. And, um... And that was, an en- that was enormously crit- criminalized in that period. I mean, I think a lot of things really have changed in our attitude about what we think public art is and who it's for. I know the, st- the city still doesn't like people to put stickers on things. But you guys, nah, I mean, things don't. have really changed in your attitude to what you want to like, foster in the public as far as, uh, as, far as public art, right? And, and seeing that as a benefit rather than as a, a vandalism. Absolutely. Well, I, I think it's also just the more we do,
2: the more folks become accustomed to, and I, I think those cultural shifts take hold little by little, and then we have some big moments as well. So we've had we've had a lot of changes. I mean, when I first started, we had that that show together. That was also when we started Paint Box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was a big deal at the time, just to pay artists a few hundred dollars to paint the utility boxes around mm-hmm. the city, and it's still going. People like it, but we've gone from Paint Box to having you know, capital funds dedicated through a percent for art program um, to doing the transformative, you know, public art programs, which then sort of feed back into those longer term projects and help us push, you know, it's just it's a constellation of works. And, you know, never mind all the monument, the big monument changes we've been able to do as a community in the last five years. It's
0: been huge. The addendum to the shepherd story. He came back. He came back like two years ago, painted a seaport area, didn't he? Wasn't that a huge project? And Vic Marker Twenty Seven was part of it too. Oh,
2: the one at the that? aquarium.
0: Who was at the aquarium? Yeah, wasn't that wasn't he was it? part of that? And so was yeah. Marker Twenty Seven and a bunch of other murals. So yeah. water under the bridge. It's just the past. So that that huge um, that huge wall that uh, Rob Gibbs uh, is on right now was that you as well across from South Station?
2: No, that's the Greenway. We walked worked with Rob he worked with us the first year we really started doing transformative we didn't have a call for it yet with his first "Breathe life mural in grove hall so we've worked with him and we're working with him right now on um doing with some other artists basketball courts in malcolm x park so we're continuing to work with him but that one was the greenway uh and it's beautiful and so prominent. But that land that used to be where the big di- where the highway went through. So that is state land because it was the highway. And then there's the road under the, and then the greenway on top. So the greenway is run by a nonprofit, but it's state property SDOT. DOT. Yeah,
0: that's that spot's been awesome. Um, wait. So where are you working with uh, Rob right now? Malcolm X Park?
2: Yeah, so we are working with him. We're working with Street Theory. Um, so Liza is working with us. I don't know if you saw this, we just had a really big contract with with them for like three and a half million dollars to do murals over the next three years. And we're using, you know, capital funds to do those. These are long-term investments. And um some of the work she had done with us previously as a mural consultant was setting up these projects, but we selected three artists to do basketball courts at Malcolm X park. And we also have an artist, um, go five geo is doing the, uh, a mural on the Showborn on the community center right there.
0: That's awesome. That's incredible. We love Liza so, so many years in and out of our, each other's, uh, careers and lives. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that was a huge, uh, that was a hugely beautiful thing to see come across, uh, as an yeah. announcement that street theory was leading that charge.
2: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think about how I met them. I met Victor. I remember there was um, some confusion about what was going on with the mural down at uh, Peters Park that they had, you know, worked on, you know, for years. And I got pulled in by them. I'd never met them when there was some confusion about whose permission had been given to repaint the wall. And you know, I had understood that they had been spoken to, they had not been spoken to. And so we re-released a call. And, um, you know, ever since that time, we've, you know, it's been really wonderful to work with them from those Grove Hall murals that I mentioned to, you know, Marka did Soledad um, right up the street on Washington Manor uh, last summer. I don't know if you've seen it. It's really beautiful mural on Washington Street on a Boston Housing Authority building.
1: That's cool. Were I you able to, to keep um, I mean, was or mural something that you could keep doing during the pandemic? Or did that like shut down the way so many things? did?
2: Gosh, it's funny to try to remember what were we were actually able to do during the
1: pandemic. Um,
2: when when are you counting the pandemic as having ended, I guess?
1: I don't even More. know. I just I was just thinking yeah. of because I th- I think a lot about how the definition of public art actually changes like through th- mm-hmm. all this and one of the interesting things at least for us at Boston Center for the Arts was how to do something that was public facing on our, like, you know, yeah. in the South and during that where everybody working on it would be safe and just how that works. So I, I don't know. I was just thinking about some of that. We definitely did
2: some euros because I remember working on text for the public to be like, don't walk up to the artist, <laughs> like to give them their physical space Yeah, um, and to think about, yeah, we, we had all these It's funny, you're making me remember something from not very long ago, but really exploring like what safety precautions needed to be taken. We also like took some of the funding that we had been putting toward more, you know, traditional short term public art and also toward murals and started funding like smaller projects at that time, like have public art be, you know, something like this, where Mm -hmm. something that could be publicly available online and exploring Mm -hmm. different possibilities uh, so we we really try to stretch our d- definition of what public art was during that
1: time. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me. Yeah, we were we were
2: pretty busy also in conversations about you know monuments and having public meetings virtually then too. So a lot of our focus was on public conversation and public mm-hmm. you know dialogue.
0: Oh, there was a there was h- two huge things that happened uh, in terms of public monuments: uh, the Haymarket Square. Di- uh,
2: what do you mean, Haymarket Square?
0: Wasn't there a, a uh, wasn't there a sculpture proposal there in reaction to its role in slavery? Didn't that? Oh,
2: Faneuil Hall. Faneuil, Faneuil Hall. Hall. Oh, Haymarket's yeah, Steve different Faneuil.
0: Sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Haymarket's the the outdoor market where people sell, you know, fruits and vegetables very actively still. Faneuil Hall. That was a proposal Steve Locke developed when he was an artist in residence with the city and then proposes a public artwork. Um, that was before the pandemic. But was, but yeah, absolutely in, has informed our conversations about memorials and monuments. That was that was I, I'm trying to think about what year it was, but it was it was definitely before the pandemic started, though. So we were already having some big, important public conversations.
0: And then you had one that on the Esplanade that hit international news that everyone was uh, talking about and still enjoying
2: the common, the embrace—that's brand new.
0: Oh, that's a common. I'm getting all my. You are, that <laughs>
1: one's brand new. I, can I, it's a pup quiz.
0: I'll, <laughs> I, I sound so not Ill, illiterate. But, but
1: Karen, you're talking about the, you're talking about the the um, the Christopher Columbus Park, and also I can't remember where the Emancipation was was site. Emancipation. But it's like Park Plaza. I also there was a lot of you guys did a lot of online conversations about that. There was really great it felt like you it seemed like you would be able to have a lot more voices in the room like doing Mm -hmm. it that way yeah i think well the embrace we started that
2: earlier but that you know those conversations about that also you know ended up overlapping with it um the embrace i think we started in i started in 2017 on that project and so that definitely carried through i mean we had the artist Selected the artwork selected before the pandemic, but a lot of the process mm-hmm. did happen, you know, through virtual meetings, Zoom meetings, which um, used to happen in person in a conference room, you know, at City Hall. And we were able to have a lot more reach. But, yeah, Randy, those the conversations about removing Columbus and removing Emancipation Group were all virtual. Mm-hmm. And I think we had so much more reach, so much more um, public contribution. And it, you know, I, I think our meetings got a lot better. And more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, there was at, at, at the moment it was a lot of scurrying to figure out, you know, how to run them.
0: Yeah.
2: Now it feels very natural, um, and a lot easier than doing it in person. But at the time, it was very intimidating.
0: Yeah, it's like, sh- where should I set up my camera background? Should I have a cat avatar or my <laughs> yeah. face? How much makeup should I wear? <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't wear never. Or am I going to get
1: zoom bombed? I don't know if people mm-hmm. still do that, but the. Uh- We were worried about
2: that. All in all, people were pretty good, though. It was a lot of really a lot of great listening.
1: I'm just how can you shed any light on how those discussions go internally? Like, are you guys mostly just really trying to parse through what public opinion is? Or I wonder, you know, how you what your how you state what your mission kind of and criteria are and how you how that evolves? mission criteria for just uh, from the city. Like if somebody, you know, deciding, for example, that like to really encourage public art or to do some deep questioning of whether the public art that we do have is the right public art or just, you know, all the kinds of really kind of political decisions that you Yeah, We had been started thinking
2: about it, You know years before um after charlottesville i had a an intern for a summer we had been working with um, interns from bu for years uh, over the summer who are phds in art history and a woman named eva was working with me and i asked her um, to do a national audit of how people were handling the question of monuments Mm -hmm. um, and to review our collection and identify, you know, which pieces we should really be looking at and suggest some approaches. So she did that and it's available on our website. An opportunity for change, I think, is what it was titled. And then in 2020, when the conversation was coming back, we had had that. We had also developed a uh, a booklet of policies over the years, little by little, which is, which is you know, an iterative process, um, but really trying to create processes. Because oftentimes I think people think bureaucracy is that we have these stiff systems that won't change, but sometimes I find the issue is we haven't, you know, developed the systems we need. Um, we don't have the answers about how something how something should work and how do we learn. So we've sort of been doing both of those things. So thinking about like how our processes work and and also studying our collection or the the artworks that we have out in public here and how folks in other cities who are experiencing these public conversations already we're handling it. So we had all that. And I was just talking to someone about a meeting we had on, I remember June 9th, 2020, um, after George Floyd was killed, we, you know, at our public meeting, we revisited, I re-presented that report and talked to the Art Commission about it. And, you know, that night or early the next morning is when Columbus was beheaded, decapitated. <laughs> um, three days later, Tory Bullock started his petition to remove Emancipation Group. So, You know, we were already virtual and we sort of adjusted and moved ahead and had special meetings and, you know, a lot of public testimony. And we're really lucky because, you know, in particular, the Emancipation Group because Tori directed people into our process. So we were able to have that really great conversation. And then later, when the conversation about Columbus happened, we were more practiced, you know, and we came up with different solutions for each of those. And it's obviously ongoing um, and still a lot of questions left, but we were able to do learning and think about, you know, what, what would this look like, you know, as a policy? So we have some, some experience with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Randy, if that answers your question, but there is a lot of internal thinking about how to set ourselves up to be responsive, um, to anticipate what public needs and demands will be and sort of how to strategically approach internal conversations as well. Um, because we don't want to just, the, the answer isn't whether something comes up or down, right? It's like, what's the conversation we're all having, you know, within City Hall and, you know, in our communities at our dinner tables about what does it mean and what are, what are we comfortable with? And I found the people who participated in those conversations, a lot of times their minds were changed. There are people who definitely thought emancipation group shouldn't come down. And then listening to, you know, mothers share their experience mm-hmm. of, you know, hardships you know, having to have their kids see the, this image of you know Archie Alexander on his knees in a loincloth, you know, every day. You know, what is that? What is that like? It's just a lot more humanizing. Um, when
0: you're hearing it from a, from a mom. Conversely, for from the artist's perspective, uh, how do I get involved with having one of my giant bronze sculptures uh, put up and celebrated around uh, the city of Boston? Of yourself? Uh, you know, just uh, say I'm a savvy young listener, go-getter, and mm-hmm. I have an art practice, but I don't know how to get involved with uh, this giant bag of money you get getting thrown
2: around. <laughs> well, you know, we have... Uh, you know, some we can send up for newsletters where we put out calls to artists. We call, put out requests for proposals. Um, we don't ask for design work. We have to do requests for proposals because of state procurement law, but the designs we ask for are conceptual written proposals. Um, so the best way to get involved is to apply to some projects. We put out calls pretty pretty frequently, um, and we also have like a portal, a public art and design application where folks can submit applications that like they're just proposing but we wouldn't have funding for that right so the things we have funding for we put out calls but people can also propose things that we would you know just review and maybe give some input to if folks have their own funding sources they could do that
0: at this point do you have more how how has response been do you do you have enough people applying are there that many artists who are plugged in and no no to get through I
2: mean, we we always get responses. I think we always also want more local artists. I think there are great programs like now and there's accelerator program that is thinking about how to get more folks prepared to apply to projects like this. I think that could continue. We I think could keep growing in that way, connecting with with artists and curators who, you know, are, might be more interested in doing public art in Boston. Now I think you know working with you know, Hank and his team um, on the embrace, you know, one way or another got us on, you know, on a lot of people's minds as a city where there's art happening. And the controversy, I, I think, is how it maybe got known across the country. Um, but the work is incredible and the message is powerful. Uh, and I think it's doing what we had hoped and in, in being a space for people to gather and to talk about um, injustice and and racial equity and you know promising futures. And and Boston history that had been neglected, right? Like there, there and there are so many other stories that are untold. But I think what is also really exciting about it is that it you know it it does explore a different way of, of telling the story of, of our heroes, in that it you know it presents both Martin Luther King Jr. and Curtis Scott King together and you know, focuses on love for community and on the beloved community. And I think the the Freedom Plaza, the 1965 Freedom Plaza, that mass developed around it, um, highlighting other civil rights leaders from the t- locally from that time, helps us to think as you know regular folks about how change really happens. You know, I think a lot of our other public artworks don't do that. They don't tell. And maybe some of them are of incredible people, but we don't understand that from the artworks. And some of them are not. Some of them are. Harmful people, but I think this work is exciting in in that it was you know developed to engage us and to include us.
1: And I think the whole piece of thinking, I mean the the sculpture, but also all the kind of work around it of trying of trying to make sure there's a way to tell the story and maybe have it become a conversation piece and and facilitate yeah. that. yeah, and hopefully it'll continue.
0: How do you keep all your public art from being stolen and loaded up onto a truck?
2: It's installed. It's pretty heavy, and there there are ways of installing them so they'd be more difficult to remove. But all in all, they're pretty heavy.
0: That's what I thought. Yeah. You probably shouldn't tell the actual answer, to that. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember one time. One time I was in New York, and and uh, right by like Fourteenth Street, there's the Astor Cube, and one day someone. Someone had just stolen it, and I was, I've always wondered, how do you steal a giant piece of public art, and what do you even do with it after that point? But I guess it's not a worry, because it's installed correctly, so moot point.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: people
1: do different things. I don't know. People move big things. I mean, Oliver, no. you weren't the one who was trying to steal one of the ducklings or something, were you, by any chance?
0: I can't believe those things haven't been stolen. Those <laughs> things are so cute, and they must be installed very well.
1: Well,
2: I mean, I think in all, like our public space is built around a lot of public trust, right? Could do a lot of harm if they wanted to, but all in all, people don't want to. And so it's, it's a kind of social agreement, right? Um, and I think that's what we've been facing, you know, in the last number of years is, is folks feeling like they can change the things they, they didn't want before and could change. Now, like Emancipation Group, oh. you know, that... Uh, The Freeman's Memorial, Frederick Douglass spoke out against it when it was installed. Like it was, it's not new. Like the, the problems with a lot of the existing works aren't new. You know, people, you know, people always knew problems that have been there. I think there's, there's a shift in what we see as being possible for us to change. And that's, you know, really exciting. And I think like it reinforces itself when we're doing, you know, great things here when we're having. You know, the art book fair when we're we're seeing murals around um, I think it's encouraging.
0: Are there any new areas where you're looking to uh, place murals or pu- place public pieces that kind of don't have anything right now?
2: Yeah we I mean we have some areas we we definitely want to do more in some neighborhoods um, we want to do more projects in so we're exploring that right now um, for the next fiscal year looking for places to do capital projects so but we, we have like 20 projects in the pipeline in different places i'm really excited for the Fred, journey of my soul the frederick Douglass legacy project which is happening in lower roxbury um it's been in the works for a long time um a piece paul goodnight um, did a sketch for that mm-hmm. artist uh, sculptor mario chiotto is making the sculpture for so that'll be happening we were hoping this year, but probably next spring. I'm really excited for that one, and there there are a lot of other ones at, at schools and other places across the city. Part lemercier um, doing an installation at Engine 42 in Eagleville. There are projects happening all over that you can't see yet because they're not physically, you know, there. But there's there's a lot happening all over, and we'll be planning more too. And you know, we have artists and residents working all across the city as well, doing doing their work. We're just Wrapping up our fifth round of the residency program, so there's a, a lot happening
1: all, all over. That's been a fantastic program, too. I that I applaud
0: that. I don't know much about the residency program. How long is that for, and how many artists are involved in each session?
2: Well, it's been going for seven years, I think now. So we started that. We got a grant from the NEA, an Our Town grant, and I want to say. 2015 and then we've it's taken different forms each time so this year though we have an 18 month residency for the artists it's been a two-year cycle Uh, we have six artists working with us and city departments so six city departments six artists like it's they're matched um, and we meet all of us together on a monthly basis in a partner circle Um, but the artists are you know, working with city departments um, or people from city departments to co-design uh, projects to really look at city processes and you know think about new ways to to do problem solving and or to do work and have public conversations about civic you know well-being and and equity and you know what might feel right to them. So we have an incredible group of artists this year.
1: Tell what departments are they? I was so impressed the first time I learned about this, watching artists get selected by the police department to work with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the artists embed themselves in so many interesting aspects of the city. That seemed really exciting. Yeah, that that was the first. That was Shapang Lu working
2: with the police department. Um, But we have some really interesting ones this year, like Lily Shea is working with the BPDA planning department we have BPA research department also involved Eloisa Barbosa is working with them she's an audio documentarian really thinking about how to do research and how to capture the human side of that work Elise Patterson is working with the transportation department really thinking about like how the department is working with folks from the from the disabilities um, community we have Melissa Tang is working with me doing participatory action research really thinking about how you know evaluating this program. John Z. Harris is working with the Environment Cabinet, Environment Department, and Ashton Lights is working with the Parks Department. Wow. Um, so you have a great... That's um, amazing. City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was all six. But yeah, it's been really great. And so we are they're wrapping up their projects this June, and we're trying to figure out how to share out about it. We'll have final presentations on June 8th. And um, yeah, so that's, that's like civic practice, social practice work. So it, it's not... Not as easy to see or understand as the kind of public art we've been talking about. But it's really, really about public and and about people and our experience and trying to really connect the artist community with community decision-making through
0: government. How many projects are you working on at this current moment? I think you just listed like 20.
2: Yeah. Well, it's not just me on any of it. But yeah, there's a lot of work, a lot of projects happening. So I don't know. So we have on the public art team... You know, myself, I work with Sarah Rodrigo, who's our senior public art project manager, Amber Torres, who's a newer, she's been there a year, um, public art project manager. So they, for all the capital projects and all the temporary projects, short-term projects that are happening, they're their project managers. So they're the ones, you know, on the ground working with artists and, you know, really drafting RFPs and then I'm, I'm working with them. Um, and, I, you know, we talked about Liza's working with us now. We also hired Erin Genia and Tanya Tone as Indigenous Public Art and Cultural Spaces consultants who we'll be working with for a couple of years to really revisit how the Boston Art Commission and the Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture sort of are thinking and defining our work. Um, in public art around our capital, capital projects in particular. We were having a lot of conversations after Erin Genia's in residence. The, the pre, during COVID, she was in artisan residence with the Department of Emergency Management and she developed a um, cultural cultural emergency response. I'm saying it wrong. I'm saying the words in the wrong order. But basically that we're in a cultural emergency. And so how do we respond to that the way, you know, the city and other organizations might to like, you know, flooding or, or something like that? How do we prepare for the, our cultural emergencies and, and think of them, what are those... What's the source, right? Really looking at the cultural sources of the emergencies we're living through. But she had also talked a lot about our public art and we had done a public meeting through the art commission about indigenous public art and cultural spaces. And she had helped arrange for a lot of people to testify. And then we put forward this consultancy and she she ended up applying with, with a partner. But yeah, a lot of projects, but a lot of collaborators. And I think that's the great thing is we have a lot of people, a lot of other organizations you know, working with us. And I think that's, that's the idea, um, is to really, you know, distribute, um, and diversify the work that we're doing.
1: I hope this is inspiring to people listening to it to realize, I mean, I think like that you are more accessible. I have a feeling than a lot and more active than a lot of, um, of public art, sort of forces in governments at different cities. I think. I mean, I think reaching out through the website and all the ways that you have for people to access you is actually probably pretty a good opportunity for a lot of people, especially looking just yeah. to connect in the city. Well, people can people can come to our public
2: meetings too. Um, once a month, we hold them on Zoom, and they're I think they're pretty interesting. But we don't have that many people who come, you know, often. It's too hard to park.
1: I mean, it's great that those are virtual now, too. Yeah, no, I <laughs> Tell us, how about something on the personal front? Are you okay. still making art? Are you still making art yourself? You
2: know, um, I have a space in my home for art making. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, and, I, and I get involved there from time to time, but I, I have found that my work itself has become sort of a, a practice my professional work has become an artistic or has maybe has always been because my, my, I mean, I I told you a little bit, about where the, I came through, right. It it all felt in line, but I miss being a personal creator and I'm trying to reconnect with that. But there was just, there was such a time when I couldn't see the point in making my own art and I felt it more urgent to support other people getting their art out. But I think I need it, you know, not to show anyone or, or to do anything, but I do think I, miss it very deeply
0: <laughs> yeah I like the I love that what you just said because I mean as the, all three of us are you know facilitators for other artists to create their work and that really resonates with me both like the 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 longing to create your own work but not sure if it's it's you know for what purpose other than the ego and the self expression versus like oh man this is really creative and fulfilling to create platforms and avenues for others to achieve things yeah. hundred
1: percent. Yeah. But I also like that Karen kind of phrased it as it's a, in its own way. It's a work of art to craft a career where you are involved in this in kind of yeah. a, an important way.
2: Yeah. And I'm like always in personal crisis about my own creativity. And, and I've had, you know, great conversations getting to work so closely with artists, you know, I get to, you know, be friends with them and, you know, at this point, like for decades or a long time. Right. And I've had, in particular, really great conversations with Rasheen Pahandesh, who was an artist in residence in the past mm. and does beautiful work. But really talking to her about like, you know, starting with thinking about the artist residency program that I'd been designing and running that as like civic practice and social practice. And then I think I just started looking at my actual career and seeing, you know, when I was in college and painting, my professors didn't understand what I was doing, you know, working with youth and community and, Publicness. Um, it didn't match their expectations for what a serious studio practice could be, um, at least not in, in in the way they were thinking of it at the time. So I always thought of it as sort of an extra thing, but now I realize that it was the main thing for me.
0: Do you have a a a group of artists or a list of people that you are in your dream to have uh, contribute public pieces into the Boston spaces?
2: I mean, right now I, you know, Simone Lee's show at the ICA is, is pretty incredible. So that's a very immediate one. I mean, when we were started working on um, what became the embrace, you know, it it was Hank. I had like seen his work at an art fair in New York and had like a, I have a beatable tote of his from that time from freeze, I think. And, you know, we had tried contacting him, and, and in the end, that's not how he ended up applying at all. Uh, but it's exciting. I don't think we have a lot of limits on who we could work with here. That's really exciting. What do you think? Who do you want to see?
0: I've always loved the the work of Stephen Powers, Espo, because he does a lot of work. Um, it's all murals and um, okay. very graphic-y and illustrative styles. Um, but he does a lot of work where he pulls, like interviews with locals and turns those into the giant murals that you see around uh brooklyn philly i forget where else he's i mean he's everywhere but um yeah i've always, I've always followed his work coming from a, a graffiti background what do you what about you randy who would you like to see uh pieces by in boston
1: That is such a good question. I think I'm so in the weeds of of working with artists who are here. I feel like such a a facilitator of visions that are here that I think I've stopped looking as hard as I used to through all my life of uh, artists doing stuff other places that I wish I could bring here. Even And even the idea of that scale, I mean, I'm thinking about it a lot more now because of some things going on in my practice, but I don't know. I've, I find that I'm thinking about it differently than I would have thought about it kind of last time I thought about it. I'm not meaning to be cryptic, but that's very true. I, there's not like an individual artist who pops to mind. I think I think a little bit more abstractly about the kinds of things that it would be interesting to have here that might be different. Somebody... In the course of the Coretta Scott King relationship to the Embrace, talked a lot about a building in Boston where she had been in a dorm as a student and sort of the history of the building. And I think things like that get me thinking like a lot about interesting sort of different ways of thinking about how we memorialize space or do artist projects. I think I'm thinking sort of that way. I think I'm like having some sideways thinking. But I think I'm maybe like you, Karen, I think next time I'm traveling something will hit that like, that puts all the, like connects all the little sparks that have been flying around in there. It always happens because I am always looking, but there's also a lot of um, time just spent kind of mulling what you're actually kind of looking for. It is fun to think about though.
2: I think about like portraits, like in public spaces, like having Amy Mm Sherrill, you know, do something. Or Mm -hmm. I think a lot too about, and like I have some, children's book writers and illustrators in my life. And I think how amazing would it be to have, you know, murals, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not, maybe, I don't know, copyright, but like from books or, you know, by those kinds of artists really thoughtfully put around a place.
1: But I, cause I also think like you, the library project, like the mural, the murals and libraries are really amazing. Are just when we did all the like really colorful misuka window treatments of the mills gallery as just like, that was really really fun. Thinking about people who can work that way on storefronts is interesting to me as well.
0: Well, I think that is uh, that's an amazing place to wrap up our conversation for the time being because we actually we're probably gonna have to have you on again because there's so much we want to ask you, but we're, we're hitting our time limit for uh, <laughs> yeah. for how much data can yeah. be uh, transferred in one session.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. I always do show notes after these things, and I'll put a link to. Um, the mayor's office of arts and culture uh, yes, submission yeah. process and some of that material that you mentioned. Yeah. And our
2: newsletters, people should sign up. We have wonderful newsletters put out by our communications team. Um, yeah. Social media and all that.
0: You're incredibly uh, inspiring to me. And I'm, I'm really happy that I get to like spend time talking to you about things that uh, are fascinating and actually help our our city become what it can be. So thank you for being part of this.
2: Thank you, Oliver. Yeah. That's that's really sweet, and it's it's nice to connect again. It's been a long time. I'm trying to get Randy to hang out, but I, I'd love to, to see you um, soon.
1: Uh, I'm the worst you know. hanger outer, but I'm the I am so happy to be invited to hang out. It makes me the happiest person on the planet. So I try. <laughs> I'll keep trying,
2: Randy. Okay. It's,
1: it's been 15 years. Uh. It'll Once happen. in a while, I get you.
0: I'll be available probably in like four years. <laughs> yeah, I think so that that's that's probably what I'll that be. That sounds argue. good.
2: I might yeah. have more time then as well.
1: I'm available. I can do better than that. So keep trying. I can okay. do better. This has really been such a delight. Thank you very very much. Thank you. Thank you both.